0: This is a sermon from the Highless Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org.
1: Good morning, Park Church. This morning's passage is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. Again, that's Matthew 13. 24 through 43, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, "An enemy has done this." So the servant said to him, "Then do you want us to go and gather them?" But he said, "No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among with them. Let us let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, Park Church.
0: Good to see you. You guys are more awake than the last group. It got a little brighter outside. I guess that's what 's going on good to see you. Uh, I want to remind you if you would please hold on to your place there in matthew thirteen uh, we 're going to be coming to, back to that in just a moment uh, today we 're going to be continuing on with jesus 's parables regarding the the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that Gary did a great job kind of unpacking what parables all are all about and how Jesus used them, so I'm not going to take a ton of time to do that today, so I'd encourage you to go back, go to our website, download the message from last week, and kind of catch up with where we are right now, but I'll do a little quick thing here, uh, By I would just way a reminder, parables are concrete depictions of a cosmic truth, all right, concrete depictions of a cosmic truth. In other words, the parables of Jesus use everyday life examples, like normal, everyday things to prove or teach a truth. Uh, today you're going to see a farmer, you're going to see wheat, weeds, dough, leaven, those sorts of things, everyday kinds of things, especially everyday kinds of things from the time of Jesus. And they are used to in like in a story format to communicate a truth, uh, a cosmic reality, all right? And the truths that Jesus is communicating in today's message uh, are, are meant to kind of confront two big assumptions um, about the the assumptions are about what life would be like when the king and his kingdom arrives. Uh, And those assumptions, by the way, were not just held by the original audience of Jesus. If we're honest, we are guilty of some of the same assumptions today. And if left unchecked, if, if we just let those assumptions go and don't check them, They can lead to frustration, bitterness, anger with God, and some have even used these false assumptions of the kingdom and life in the kingdom as reasons for why they are walking away from Jesus. So let's pray together and let's ask for the Spirit to give us ears to hear what God would have us to hear individually today and then corporately as his church. So let's pray. And just for a moment, if you would, right where you are, just take some time with God and ask him to speak to you. Um, Ask him to calm your heart. If you have any distractions going on in your mind right now, just ask that God would kind of remove those so that you could hear what God would have to say to you. So a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Jesus, would you by your spirit this morning in this place, would you meet with us? Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and our minds? If we have just things going on in life, maybe this week was really, really hectic and we're distracted. Maybe it was a rough week. Maybe it was a rough weekend so far. Um, God, would you just help us to be in this moment, to hear exactly what you have to say to us? Give us spiritual ears to hear what we need to hear from you today god we have not come here to hear a person talk we've come to hear you speak to us so we ask in this moment would you do that we pray this in jesus name amen Uh, i'm sure i can safely assume um, that at some point in your life everybody in this room or watching online has asked this question the question is Why, God? Why, God? God, why is there so much suffering in the world? God, God, why is there so much division in your church? God, why do I struggle with depression? God, why did you allow me to be abused? God, why does my loved one have cancer or why do I have cancer? God, why did I have a miscarriage? really like to know that one. God, why would you allow things like the Holocaust or 9-11 or a global pandemic, why would you let those kinds of things happen in your world? God, why is there so much racism in the world? God, why is there so much disparity between the poor and the rich still in your world? God, why, with all the advances in science and education and psychology and technology, why is the world still the way it is? If your kingdom has come, it doesn't make sense. I've been there so many times in my life, like, God, I see what your word says. I see what Jesus says. about the reality of the kingdom here and now I know there's a fuller expression of it someday, but like there's, there's supposed to be something here right now. This thing called the kingdom. Why does all this stuff happen in the world? Why do I experience life the way I do if the kingdom has really come? And that's exactly what the disciples of Jesus and the crowds following Jesus were, were tempted to ask and think like, God, why? If the kingdom has come in and through the ministry of Jesus, which he was clearly saying it had, why was Israel still under Roman oppression? Why, why wasn't Jesus amassing an army for the violent overthrow of Roman authority that would have been occupying Israel and oppressing Israel? Why God? See it, it was the common belief based on a some misunderstanding of Old Testament prophecies that when the long-awaited Messiah, king in the line of David, arrived, all the wrongs would finally be made right. Israel would once again be able to live under the, the rule and reign of God, worship him and freedom in peace and love and joy forever. And that hadn't happened. And it was starting to look like it wasn't going to happen. And the confusion was so great that even in the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist, remember John? The one who was sent by God as the, the, the prophesied forerunner to Jesus to show up and prepare people, prepare the way for Jesus, let them know that the king was coming, the kingdom was coming, Jesus shows up, Jesus or John says, there he is, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He's the one, worship him, repent, enter his kingdom. That John He had been arrested, thrown in prison. He sent a question to Jesus from prison to Jesus and said this, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? Because you're not acting much like the king we expected. (laughs) Like this kingdom that's supposed to be here doesn't look like the kingdom I was anticipating. He was beginning to doubt, right? Probably because he was in prison for speaking truth to power and the powers that would be. We're going to have none of that. He had to be wondering, if the kingdom has arrived, why am I still in prison? Why am I living under the threat of death for honoring God by speaking truth if the kingdom has come? Can anyone else relate to those questions? Why God? Maybe not, maybe it wasn't any question that I mentioned, but like you're showing up here today and you're like, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with the way things are in the world. And I keep hearing every Sunday that this kingdom has come. And that this king, Jesus, is ruling and reigning. And for me, it's not adding up. Maybe that's you. And it's into the context of those types of questions and confusion that that Jesus teaches the parables that we're gonna be looking at today. So three parables, parable of the weeds and the wheat, that's one. And then the parable of the mustard seed and then the parable of the the leaven. And if you're taking notes, I just wanna give you like, here's an overarching theme about what these three parables are about. Here it is. Be patient. Be patient. Life is in the kingdom of God probably isn't what you think it is, at least for now. In this time in between Christ's first coming and his second coming, life in this kingdom that Jesus inaugurated in his ministry, it's probably not what you think it is, at least for now. So. To show that, Jesus gives two lessons regarding the kingdom of God. Two lessons. Here's the first one. Be patient. God will make all wrongs right. It's coming. Be patient. God will make all wrongs right. Uh, Let's read it together. Back in Matthew 13, verse 24. We well, read 24 through 30, give a teeny bit of explanation. If I don't mention uh, something, if I'm not kind of showing you what the correlation is, you can see that over in 36 um, to down to 41, 42 there, it gives the explanation of that parable. So this is one of the parables where Jesus actually explains it to his disciples, and you actually have the explanation in here. So that's kind of helpful I think. So if you want to go over there and look while I'm reading that's great. I'll point out a few things. Verse 24. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. Jesus later explains that man is him, the son of man, right? We've already seen this in his parables that the sower of the seed, the farmer is Jesus. Uh, while this, his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy there, we find out later, is Jesus says he's the devil. The weeds are those who follow him and don't follow Christ. And the, and the weeds are, are a type of weed that, that look basically like wheat until the very end, right before they're harvested. Okay. So you see a little bit of the deception of the enemy there. 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Well, the weeds appeared because they didn't bear grain. The wheat bore grain. The weeds didn't. That's how you knew the difference. Apart from that, they looked the same. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Well, of course, this is Jesus. Of course he did. How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this, right? So Satan is the one who's done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? This makes perfect sense, right? If you have weeds in your garden, what do you do? You pull them up. If they get uh, around your plants, you're pulling them up. Why? Because you don't want them sucking up the moisture that should be going to your plants or your flowers or your fruit or whatever you have, right? You can pull it up so, so it doesn't take away from what you planted. But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. By this time, the, the, the root system said just interconnected, right? They're all wrapped up together. And if you rip up the wheat or the weed, you're going to rip up the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest— and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Again, the assumption for the original audience that Jesus was deconstructing with his parable was the belief that once the kingdom comes, then they will be free of Roman oppression. That was the assumption all wrongs would be made right and they will only know peace and love and unity for the rest of their days. Similarly, the question from modern Christians or skeptics, there are any skeptics in the room, that Jesus is answering with this parable is this. If Jesus is truly God and he's ruling and reigning over all of creation, why does God allow so much evil and suffering in the world? It's a massive question. And Jesus' answer to both groups is this. Be patient. God will make all wrongs right. However, there are a few things we need to, to understand while we are waiting for God to make all Wrong, right, In that in-between period where we find ourselves between Christ's first coming and his second coming, there's some things we need to remember as we long for and we wait for God to make all wrongs right. Here's the first thing we need to remember. That there is a real enemy. There is a real enemy, and it's not other people. <laughs> there is a real enemy, and it is not other people people. Look at this again, verse 25. While his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy did that. Notice over in verse 38. The field is the world, and good seed uh, is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, Satan. Now, I know know some of us are hearing that, we're going, hold on, like, we've advanced, we are modern people, we believe in science, yeah. I I hear you, but Jesus didn't have a problem believing in the devil. He had no problem with it. He had been confronted by the devil uh, in his ministry. Satan was behind the, the early onslaught of trying to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Uh, Jesus faced him in Matthew 4 in his temptation. He'd been dealing with him all through his ministry up to this point and would all the way up to the cross. So, so Jesus didn't have a problem with the devil. So for those of us who are believers, we, we, we believe Jesus. Man, listen to that again. Here's what we need to remember. There is a real enemy and it's not other people. Do we need to hear that in our, age, uh, our day and age or what? What? People are not our enemy. Our country is more divided now than I have ever seen in my lifetime. And I'm very young. I'm 48. All right. And I think there might be a few in here that are older than me. I'm looking for you. I don't see you, but I know you're in here. Uh, and so you can tell us about the 60s and all that. I didn't live through the 60s. Uh, so uh, you can tell us about how divided the world was then, the country was then. But I'm telling you, in in my lifetime, I have never experienced the division in our country like we are seeing and experiencing now. And I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've never seen the church in America as divided as it is now. Whether it's differences over politics, race relations, COVID, masks, vaccines, on and on we could go, we're divided as a nation, and that division has slipped into God's church. We've allowed the exact same issues that are dividing people in the world to divide us as the people of God. And we need to be reminded, again, now more than ever, that there is an enemy. And it's not other people. The enemy, again, Jesus said, is the devil, Satan. And the lies that he sows into the hearts and minds of people. That's the enemy. He's the enemy. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Ephesians 6 uh, verses 11 and 12. He said, put on the full armor of God. Now, if he's telling us to put on God's armor, the implication is we're entering into a battle or there's a battle taking place. There's warfare happening around us. It's not physical warfare he's talking about. It's spiritual warfare. And he says, you need to be prepared for it. Part of preparing you is telling you right now, there actually is a spiritual battle going on. And there actually is an enemy who hates you and would love to destroy your life. And Paul's saying, listen, put on your armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, right? So you can stand against that because he's coming after you. And the schemes there are like lies and philosophy and deception, tricks, traps. That's how he works. He goes on, for we don't wrestle in it. This is the key. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning we do not wrestle against people. Our battle, our warfare is not with people. Church, get that in our heart, in our minds, and in our hearts. Our battle is not with people, our battle is not, our enemies. Are not people. But he goes on, it's not flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities. That is not talking about human rulers and human authorities. Because he just said, our battle is not with flesh and blood. This is talking about spiritual authorities. In a spiritual battle against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil. In heavenly places, the battle is not with people. We're called to love and serve people. We're called to be salt and light in the world. And listen, there is no way we can do that when our posture towards people who disagree with us is that they're our enemies. And I find it really, really interesting that when the workers, in the the parable here, when the workers discovered there were weeds like growing up among the wheat and the workers were like, hey, don't you want us to pull those weeds up? What did the farmer say who represents Jesus? Right, he told them not to pull the weeds up. Why? Because according to Jesus, pulling the weeds would have caused More harm than good. (laughs) And how many times have we seen that in history? Where the church thought their role was to purify the world and we're going to go to battle against not just the devil, against people who are different than us. Don't look any further than the Crusades and many other sins to see where we've gotten it wrong as the church. So be patient, be patient. God will make all wrongs right, but not by Christians acting like the world and treating everyone who disagrees with us like they're our enemies and we cancel them. There's only one enemy. The devil don't fall for his schemes. Amen? Now. That doesn't mean that God is gonna allow the enemy and those who kind of follow him to continue to deceive and cause damage to his good creation. It's really clear there is a day when all of that's gonna end, right? No more deception, no more racism, no more greed, no more war, no more sin, no more division. And all that's gonna be left is God with his love for his people in joy and peace and unity in a perfect world forever. That is what is coming and there's a day where that's going to be ushered in and just like there's a real enemy and it's not other people there is judgment coming but we aren't the judges. We aren't the judges. God is. And Jesus is wanting us to remember in that this in-between place we find ourselves in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, that there is an enemy, but it's not other people. Yes, as you wait for Jesus to make all wrongs right, know this, yeah, he is gonna judge, but he's the judge, we are not. That's key in our mission in the world to love people and serve people and bring truth to people. Because if our posture is judgmental, we can forget it. Notice that again, verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to be the judges? Do you want us to rip up the weeds and judge them? Well, nope. Less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. In doing what you might think is good, you'll actually cause more damage towards God's kingdom. Look over verse thirty-nine. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest pictured in the parable is the end of the age, right? So there there is an end to all of this. Jesus is coming back, the reapers are his angels, and just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age, and the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So there's judgment. And throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth now we need to be really careful that we don't get our doctrine and primary understanding of judgment and hell from one verse in a parable okay it's not necessarily meant to be taken literally that there is this fire and gnashing of teeth and all that i'm not saying that that it's not there all i'm saying is it's stark it's dramatic it's vivid it's obviously horrible that's what's being communicated gnashing of teeth right so like your clenched jaw when i'm stressed uh you'll know i'm stressed if you see the side of my jaw going right because that's clenching or gnashing of of teeth, is weeping, we we get what that is. It's terrible. It's, It's the opposite of what God wants for anybody. And it's stark and vivid because God's judgment is horrible. So I don't want to lighten that at all. It's meant to show us this is not anything you would actually want. And Jesus is saying, that day's coming, but he's the judge. We aren't. And that changes everything for us and how we view people in the world. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13 said this, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Listen, if there's anybody outside of Jesus that probably could judge some people, I'd say Paul could. (laughs) He could judge some people but Paul's like saying, I don't even judge those who are on the outside. In the context, he's talking about the importance of speaking truth to one another in the church, but outside of the church, like it's not our our job to to judge those who are not believers. That's not our role. He goes on to say God judges those outside. God is the judge, not us. And yes, there is coming a day when God will make all wrong right. Yes. He's going to recreate his good world he will make it a place where there will be no more sin forever and all who during their life place themselves under king jesus and his good reign will inherit the fully consummated kingdom of god it's beautiful imagery look at verse 43 Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Like that's beautiful imagery. Basically what Jesus is saying is he's gonna make us who we were originally intended to be. See, it's very clear. First couple chapters of the Bible that human beings were created to be image bearers of God, that our calling as human beings and our identity as human beings was intended to be reflectors of God and his character and his nature in the world. And here what Jesus is saying is, you're finally one day, that's gonna be fully true of you. You are an image bearer of God now. That, that's still a reality, but because of our sin and our rebellion and, and our lack of faithfulness to Jesus, uh, we don't often, always reflect that in the world. And he's saying, that day's coming. That's coming for you as a child of God. That day is is coming in the future. And as we said, all those who chose to reject that same king and kingdom will receive the just consequences for that. And we already talked about that. Now, some may be asking at this point, like, what is taking God so long? (laughs) If this is true, what's taking him so long? Does the world need to get worse? Why is God waiting There's so much devastation in the world, so much hatred, so much violence, so much damage being done to God's good creation. Why is he waiting? It is absolutely impossible for me to answer that fully. The Bible doesn't tell us all the reasons why God is waiting. But we do know this. There is like one one reason we can know for sure. Listen to this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Apostle Peter says this in 8 to 9, or 8 to 10. He says, but do not overlook this one fact. Peter's saying this is a fact about God. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Right? So one day for God is kind of like a thousand years for us. So according to that, Jesus is like, man, I've, been only, I've only been away for two days. Like, relax. Relax. I've only been away two days, according to God. He's outside of our time frame, right? He's not on our timeline. He's bigger than that. And a thousand years as one day. Here's the key. The Lord is not slow or lazy or forgetful to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is, here it is, he is patient toward us. Wow. Isn't that good news? He is patient towards us, which is why we are called to be patient towards others. He is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish. So if your view of God does not include that you are missing out. He is patient. He's not longing for anyone to perish. That's why it's taking so long for us. But that all should reach repentance. But he ends it with this. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief. Like you're not going to know when. Nobody knows when. So that patient, patience will end someday when Jesus returns. All wrongs will be made right then. Uh, speaking to the patience of God and to kind of that fr- frustration that we might possibly feel from this, um, the, the probably the leading New Testament scholar in the world, N.T. Wright, says this. It's really great, helpful. It should be up on the screen. Would people really like it If God were to rule the world directly and immediately so that every thought and action were weighed and instantly judged and, if necessary, punished in the scales of his absolute holiness, would we really want that? If the price of God stepping in and stopping a campaign of genocide were that he would also have to rebuke and restrain every other evil impulse, including those we all still know and cherish within ourselves, would we be prepared to pay that price? If we ask God to act on special occasions, do we really suppose that he could do that simply when we want him to and then back off again the rest of the time? In other words, listen, we all want justice. That is kind of that's part of being created in the image of God. Like that DNA is wired in us as human beings. We all want justice. We're all for justice. And as God's people, we should be, right? We're called to be just people in the world. We're to pursue justice. And we're all for justice when that justice applies to somebody else. I'm all for it when it's not coming back at me. Because what do I want? I want patience, I want grace. I want mercy. You, yeah, you need justice. But me, I need patience, right? We're all for it until it applies to us. You can be sure Jesus will return to make all wrongs right. The question is will you be ready for that? Have you said yes to Jesus and his kingdom? H- have you turned from your sin and received his forgiveness and grace? Just a question. If you haven't, would you receive Jesus' kind invitation today? Would you believe today? That's my hope, that's my prayer. So be patient. God will make all wrongs right. That's the first lesson. Now, second lesson, it'll be a lot shorter, I promise. <laughs> John's like, bring it, let's go short. Second lesson regarding the kingdom of God that Jesus is teaching us here in these, pa- uh, these parables is this. Be patient. God's kingdom is growing even when it seems small and insignificant. Be patient. Yes, God's kingdom is here. Jesus brought it. It is growing. It is expanding even when it seems small and insignificant Look at verse 31. It says he put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed. It's a really, really small grain. Then a man took and sowed in his field." It is the smallest of all weeds, and let me just, or seeds, not weeds. Uh, it's the smallest of all seeds. Let me stop there for a second. Today we know the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. So the science folks in the room are like, ah, see, I can't trust it, I can't believe it. All right, but during Jesus' time in Palestine, it was the smallest known seed. All right, so hang with me. All right, let's keep going it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. This little seed becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. That's a beautiful Old Testament prophecy imagery of what it's going to be like When the kingdom of God grows, when the kingdom of God spreads, it's gonna be like this this thing that started really, really small, really insignificant in a really insignificant part of the world. And man, this thing gets huge. And the birds are, are pictures of people from all over the world coming and finding sanctuary in the kingdom of God. All people, every different walk of life, Men, women, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different countries, everybody represented. The book of Revelation says everybody from every tribe, every tongue, every language together in the kingdom of God. And all of that begins with this small, little, insignificant seed, which is the kingdom of God. Keep going. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast uh, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. That's just a little bit of yeast that goes into a batch of dough that creates enough bread to feed hundreds of people. It's a little bit of leaven. That's all it takes. It's all it takes. It's a little bit and it spreads and it creates, creates enough bread to feed lots of people, this little insignificant thing. And it's really interesting, most of the time in the Bible, leaven or yeast is considered like something that represents sin, which I just love here. Jesus is like, no, we're gonna turn that over, it's good. This is what the king of heaven is like. It's like that, small, but massively significant. See, we live in a culture that is impressed by the big and the flashy. Man, we're impressed by that stuff. The bigger, the better. If it's large and popular, there's gotta be something about it, right? And then we read this from the words of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed. Come on in, like what? Like no lasers, no smoke, right? No flashy present. It's a mustard seed? And you're asking us to join into that? And the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took in and hid the the leaven and three measures of flour? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like? Seriously? Like this is your sales pitch? (laughs) This is so important for us to remember, especially in the culture we're living in. Our culture here in America where... According to the 2020 Gallup poll, Gallup uh, are pollsters who kind of survey and keep track of kind of religious life in America. They discovered this, 47%, this is 2020. So 47% of Americans said they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. 47% of Americans belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Now notice, that's not all Christian churches you got synagogues, you got mosques in there. So this isn't just talking about Christianity. This is talking about 40% of Americans identify with some type of house of worship. It's even less as Christians. Down, that's down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. From 1999 to last year, it dropped from 70% to 47%. U.S. church membership was 73% when Gallup first measured it in 1937 and remained near 70% from the next six decades from the 30s before beginning a steady decline around the turn of the 21st century. Church membership is strongly correlated with age. I think we all know that, right? So the study showed that 66% of traditionalists, those are U.S. adults born before 1946, belong to a church. 66% compared with 58% of baby boomers, 50% of those in Gen X, that's me, 36% of millennials. And according to data, it looks like the the gen zers who have reached adulthood are tracking right along with millennials so right around that 36% currently 31% of millennials have no religious affiliation which is up from 22 a decade ago so went from 22% had a religious affiliation to now 31% in the last 10 years that's millennials Similarly, 33% of the portion of Gen Z that has reached adulthood have no religious preferences. So what does this mean for us? Well, what it means is that there are times when you are probably the only Christian in your class, the the only Christian in your office, or or maybe living on your street, like you're the only Christian on your street, or maybe the floor of your apartment, or depending on how big your apartment complex is, maybe the entire complex, you are the only Christian there that's the current reality now, now to bring a little bit of balance to that uh, there's a pastor named tim keller the way he understands culture and what's going on he says that tr- it's not that true christianity has dropped but rather something he calls the mushy middle that has gone away isn't that great like the mushy middle, that's what's gone away. There's no more cultural pressure or cultural capital to attend church or be religious. That's what's gone away in many parts of the country. I know there's, it's still like alive in certain places, but definitely not in, in a lot of other places like Denver. So, so what has dropped is that cultural Christianity. And to that I say, thank God. Thank God. We don't need any more of that doesn't do anybody any good also don't forget all those stats are are focused on the u.s can you imagine that there's actually the church outside of america i know it's hard to imagine america like no like there's churches actually explode the kingdom of god is exploding around the world know that research that read about that be encouraged by that Places like Africa, South America, Korea, India, China, even in the Middle East, people are coming to Jesus and have their lives transformed by the radical grace of God in Christ. That's the good news. Know that Jesus didn't lie. The kingdom is here. It's spreading. It's growing. And if what Jesus is saying in these parables is true, we have absolutely no idea... All the ways the kingdom of God is growing and expanding in our own country, in our own city, in our own neighborhood, on our own campus. Why? Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Small, but grows. It's like a bit of leaven that spreads quietly through the whole batch of dough. So church... Take heart. Be encouraged. God is on the move. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He is ruling and reigning and, yes, one day will return to make all wrongs right, to fully consummate his kingdom right here on earth without any of the effects and influences of sin and evil. So, Christian, rejoice The king and his kingdom is here. Celebrate, celebrate. Give your life to the incredible mission that Jesus has called you to, to be salt and light in the world for his glory and the joy of all people. And those who are not yet Christians or skeptics in the room or watching online, believe, believe that what you've heard today is true. Accept the the kind invitation of Jesus to enter his kingdom and experience the love and acceptance of God forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning again. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to gather and hear your word. God, now may we receive it. May we receive what we've heard today. May we be challenged and transformed into the image that you created us to be, the image of God in the world. For those who are not yet believers, God, those who are skeptics, God, would they believe today? Would you give them a heart right now that loves you and longs to be in your kingdom forever? God, would you do that right now? Something only you can do. We ask you to. In Jesus name. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening. Part Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media, our Church
0: Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.